Well, hello there, uh, shameless picture show listeners. Uh, if you've listened to any uh, podcast, you know that in order to get any kind of trash in, you need uh, we need you, the people that did this, to share it and review it and like it, and you know give your your virtual social media approval. So uh, if you could do that, it would really help us out, and it's gonna help you out because it's gonna keep us watching movies, checking things off of our shame list, and sharing them with you so you can enjoy our witty banter for years to come. Um, so yeah, so like us, share us, subscribe us. Rate, review, and subscribe. It's beneficial to us. I know people are out there listening, but there's not enough reviews. I'm sick of creating new email addresses just to give us good reviews. <laughs> I know you guys are out there. I know you like us. I can see the numbers. Yes, well, I know you're watching. And actually, back when we were using SoundCloud, I could see your names, too, so I know who's listening. Help it us wasn't out. creepy at all. Help us out. Um, it, it, it goes a long way. We haven't quite gotten to the point of making a Patreon, but like I said, we just want to get our numbers out there. I want to make it our goal that if we can get 10 new reviews, that's not even that many, 10 new reviews by the end of the month, that... We will figure out something special for you guys. We will thank every single one of you. Every single one of you that does that, we will thank you on the air. And we, nice. yeah, we will read your reviews out loud. So even if you write us a bad review, I'll read it out loud. <laughs> that would that actually, I really like that. Okay. I think we should make that standard until we start getting thousands of reviews a day. Um, I'll still do it when we get thousands of reviews a day. You hear me now. <laughs> It'll be just be an hour of me reading everything on the air. I really enjoyed their last episode where they just read reviews. That was good shit, man. More of that. <laughs> so yeah. So so here it is, the next episode of, of the Shameless Picture Show. The Shameless show. Picture Show. Rah, 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 rah. Today's episode of the Shameless Picture Show is sponsored by Mill Creek Entertainment. Mill Creek is the industry leader when it comes to value price DVD and Blu-ray features and compilations. They have one of the largest catalogs out there, ranging from kids programming, classic films and television, independent cinema, documentary, and Latino cinema. Hell, they even produce their own content in-house. Mill Creek is a trusted partner with some of our favorite studios, including Sony Pictures, Walt Disney Entertainment, Warner Brothers, CBS Home Entertainment, and many more. And the best part about Mill Creek is how easy they are to find. Mill Creek has deals with thousands of big box stores, grocery stores, drug stores, and practically any other retailer you can imagine. Trust me when I say I've owned plenty throughout my time as a collector without even realizing it. They're a name I can trust. Some of my favorite releases include Can't Hardly Wait, Night of the Living Dead, House on Haunted Hill from their Vincent Price collection, the complete series of Quantum Leap, the complete series of The Secret World of Alex Mack, and of course, you're the hunter from the future. Head over to www.millcreekent.com. That's millcreekent.com and see what their collection has to offer. I guarantee you'll find something great. You want me to just keep talking or do you want me to sit here in silence awkwardly? Uh, feel free to keep talking, but I might go, yeah, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's nothing important. Uh, me and Amanda, I took Amanda last night to go see a movie, and uh, Marcus Theaters was doing a, um, they're doing like um, a family, f- a family, like a family friendly film series or some shit like that. Okay. Uh, and they're showing um, Back to the Future. <gasps> 
So nice. I got to take her to see Back to the Future. <laughs> You're just too darn loud. <laughs> Have you seen the music video that I made? Sp- uh, not not spoofing that scene, but um, it definitely directly references that scene. It's like Battle of the Bands. No! And you made the- a music video? I made several music videos. Did you know I made a music video? I do. I've seen yours. Well, you got to send me yours. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> and, at, and at one point, she gets up with a loudspeaker. You don't hear her, but she's like waving them off, and it's mm-hmm. it's supposed to be referencing that scene directly that's great i uh one of the bands that i i uh, the band that i make me i well i've made a music video for but we've we've had a bunch of them planned like there's supposed to be a direct sequel to the one i made where um you know after they blew like they made the the um the um like skateboard detective blow up they're gonna come out of the garage and it's gonna zoom out and it's gonna be like a kaiju battle <laughs> it's gonna be a robot made out of boxes showing up, and or no, it's gonna be like a Godzilla type creature that's sent by the Russian man, and they're gonna like they have another distortion pedal that they they hit, and like a a fucking mech shows up that they've made like out of used parts like Bill and Ted too, and yeah. they're gonna do like fights. Um, and then I had another idea where I wanted to remake this Smells Like Teen Spirit music video with children. <laughs> So I got all these dumb ideas that I don't have anything to do with. But, I uh, love no, it. No, so, we, so we went to go see Back to the Future. It's the second time I've gotten to see it on the big screen. I, I got to see it once in a in a drive-in, which seems oh, awesome. Okay. And then I got to see it in Marcus. And damn, that movie, it's its not only the movie continues to hold up, it just gets better. Hey, Doc, you better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to 88. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. Yeah. Yep. Like um, people can people can nitpick with the um, with um, the time travel logic and shit. You're never gonna win that argument. But like <clears throat> things I notice in this film, one, Crispin Glover does not get the credit he deserves to be for being a comedy fucking genius. He does so <laughs> little, but so much in this movie because like he's committed to that role. Yeah. He's so fucking good. What, right here, right now in the cafeteria? What if she said no? I don't know if I could take that kind of a rejection. Um, and then I never really, like, I always liked him on as a personality. I liked him on screen. I never gave Michael J. Fox much credit for his acting chops. Oh, okay. Um, it, it, I think it's easy to be swept up in his boyish charm. His choir that, boy good looks. Yeah, that... Um, yeah, yeah. Because like he, he he's also he's also easy to imitate, you know, just because he's kind of got his his style and everything. But like the scene that really stuck out with me, and like I just maybe it's because I'm getting older. I just found myself getting emotional during certain scenes of this movie, like like when um um uh, Crispin Glover's character punches Biff and everything, and I'm like I just wanted to get up and go yeah. <laughs> um, but uh like. Because you don't really get to know uh, Marty's girlfriend very well in this movie. So much so that even as a kid, I didn't realize they recast her <laughs> in the second one. But like, And Crispin Glover, too. Yeah. There, there's a fun story about that I'll tell you in just a second. Okay. But, uh, um, so you don't get to really know her character, so you don't really know what their relationship's like, if it's just like some puppy dog thing or what it is. But like the scene that really sticks out for me is when Marty is like, Doc, I've got a girl back home. And he goes, is she pretty? And he goes, she's beautiful. Like, just the way he delivers it, and then he pulls out the picture. And he's like, you know, just pulls out the thing. And like, it's everything is right there, Doc. And it's like, it just says, I love you. <laughs> it's what, what? And just like the way he delivers it, it's so fucking earnest. 
Yeah. I love it. Well, but real quick before we actually get to the movie, um, there's a fun story with Crispin Glover in the second movie. He didn't want to be in the movie because of pay. Because of pay. Michael J. Fox was getting paid significantly more than the rest of the cast members. That's and he I thought heard, it was yeah. unfair because he was just as part of that movie as everyone else. Um, so he didn't want to come back and do it. And someone in their infinite wisdoms being like, well, we had to make a wife cast of him in the first movie. We have his let's, face. Let's just slap that on somebody else. Let's just get someone down, to do a so Chris, <laughs> let's just get someone to do a Crispin Glover impression and make that. So they got sued for a lot of fucking money, <laughs> and now there are laws against doing that. <laughs> yeah, whiteness rights. Yes. So um, Back to the Future Two is the reason you can't slap a Nick Richards mask on and pretend to be him. I wonder how that. Um, what year would that have been? Um, want me to look it up? Yeah. But no, it's funny because he also. I I feel like he wouldn't have been as pissed off if he would have gotten paid for using his his likeness, which he wasn't. <laughs> He's like, that's the reason I didn't want to do this fucking movie to begin with. Right, uh, 1989. So it's 1989. Okay. So no, that that's. I was wondering what what exactly those laws entailed. Um, I I've been watching the real Ghostbusters, the cartoon oh. a lot. Was that the I one think. with the original Ghostbusters, or was that the one with the new ones? That is the one with the, well, the original Ghostbusters. Yeah. Which they couldn't, they had likeness rights. It, like, they made them different looking enough so that they didn't have to pay likeness rights. Yeah, but if you, it, it was Egon enough that you knew it was him. Right. Yeah. But then, I, in one of the first few episodes, they actually... Um, go to the opening of the Ghostbusters movie. What? And watch it. <laughs> what? <laughs> as if the Ghostbusters film was adapted from their real-life adventures. Murray, Aykroyd, and Ramus? What's that, a law firm? Holy shit. characters. Yeah. <laughs> so then they're like, hey, these people stole our story. It, well, yeah, it's like... What? It, it was... Built on, inspired by. I'll try and find you the episode and send it to oh you. Oh my god, that sounds so fucking deliciously meta. I can taste yep. it. It tastes like pancakes. Oh, <laughs> uh, so I guess I should uh, read my intro, which I never intend to say every week. It's just like that's kind of like my transition to be yeah, like, let's yep. let's let's take this shit seriously. Sip, Sip a coffee, coffee for the work for the worker man. <laughs> I don't have any coffee today. Oh, that sucks for you. <laughs> do you want to go get some real quick? Do you no, have no. Do you have peons that you can yell at? I do have a Tyson loaf, though. Ooh. It's a Filipino just, baked good. Just uh, mute your mic when you're eating it, because we had complaints. I know, I know. <laughs> I don't personally care, but, I you know. I can't help myself. <laughs> I don't blame you. Uh, a Filipino was... breakfast loaf sounds yeah. weirdly delicious. Mm, it tastes like butter and frosting. <laughs> I've, I've heard the same thing about myself. <laughs> Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. And on that note, hello and welcome to another episode of The Shameless Picture Show. My name is Michael Byers, and with me, as always, is a man who's happy to admit he's just Stardust. 
<laughs> Nick Richards. This was a hard movie to find a quote for. I, at one point, I was going to take, like, um, hold on, I'm trying to remember his name. I was going to take um, uh, Cyril's, like, entire, like, fucking long diatribe about the sun, but I was like, ugh, it's too much. <laughs> um, too long! <laughs> too long for this joke to work, and if the joke goes on too long, it's not funny. <clears throat> but if it goes on long enough, then it becomes funny again. Well, yeah, that that's uh, that was that's one of the rules of comedy is yep. um, where something uh, is funny and then it goes on too long that it's not funny and then it goes on long enough that it's funny again. <clears throat> <clears throat> and that's my favorite type of comedy is just <laughs> just beat you into submission with the funnies. <laughs> I really had to work for that one. <laughs> on today's episode, we'll be discussing a film from my shame list, Danny Boyle's Sunshine. It's 2056, and the sun is dying. The earth is rapidly spiraling towards becoming completely frozen, and our only hope is the crew of Icarus 2 and a bomb. Icarus 2 is led by Captain Kaneda with the mission of deploying a giant nuclear bomb right into the sun with the hopes that the explosion will jumpstart the sun. Jumpstart my heart! <laughs> I had to. All is going according to plan, that is, until they receive a distress beacon. From the original Icarus ship, and the crew must decide if they should continue the mission or go on a whim to see if anyone survived on the original ship. Directed by Danny Boyle in 2007 from a script by longtime collaborator Alex Garland, Sunshine would go on to become a sleeper hit for Boyle and Garland. While it wasn't as well received as their previous effort 28 days later, the film was extremely well received. Oh, sorry, well-reviewed, made some money, and would fetch some awards. Part science fiction thriller, part slasher film, Sunshine is a beast all its own, and I could say it left me speechless. Sunshine has an all-star cast featuring Criff, Criff, Chris Evans, Cillian Murphy, Rose Byrne, Michelle Yeoh, Cliff Curtis, Troy Garrity, and Hiroki, sorry, Hiroyuki Sonata as Captain Kaneda. Our sun is dying. Mankind faces extinction. Earth frozen in a solar winter. Sixteen months ago, our last best hope left Earth. Our purpose to create a star within a star. We have a payload to deliver to the heart of our nearest star. That star is dying, and if it dies, everything dies. There is nothing, literally nothing more important than completing our mission. Are you scared? No. I am. What's going on? We don't know. All the sensors out there are burned out. The only way we're going to know is if we go out there. Hey, Chris, I'm gonna be taking control here for a while. Yes, Cassie. I'm gonna be rotating us so the damage is facing away from the sun. Do we understand each other? Yes, Cassie. Establishing new alignment to sun. You see the damaged panels? You can do it? Yeah, we can do it. Oh, hey, that ship's moving. Flight controls removed. What? Negative, Icarus, negative. State reason immediately. Fire in oxygen garden. Steel sections five through nine. 
returning vessel to original rotation. They're gonna burn up. Kaneda, Tabba, get back to the airlock now. Shield in full sunlight. Captain! Kaneda! large amount of O2 was burned in the fire. We do not have enough oxygen reserves to get us to our payload delivery point. There's something else, too. There was no malfunction on the airlock hardware. The airlock was decoupled manually. There's enough oxygen to get us to the payload delivery point. Everybody get here now! There just isn't enough to get all of us there. Warning. You are dying. All crew are dying. We know we're dying. As long as we can live long enough to deliver the payload. You will not live long enough to deliver the payload. Please clarify. We have remaining oxygen to keep four crew alive. Affirmative. There are only four crew members. Negative. There's not a lot of plot in this movie, so it's like that's yeah, the it, shortest one I've written. It, you're 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 flying into the sun to to restart it, and tutti antics happen. So I, I need to stop myself from just getting to like the very end and talking about that. So, well, ask I, me what I thought about the movie, Nick. <laughs> um, hey, Michael, what did you think about the movie? <laughs> I fucking loved this movie. Um, I I use Letterboxd for my reviews. Yep. And um, and we were using it for a little bit for our shameless, but I kept forgetting to update it. But um, that's how I keep track of my watch list. I'm kind of an obsessive like that. I used to keep a PDF document that had everything I watched throughout a year. This makes it so much easier. But uh, And then it also helps me help think more critically of films instead of being like, I like it, I like it, I like it. It's like I have to think, it's like, do I like it as much as this one? I don't give out five-star ratings very often. It's usually reserved for pretty special films. I gave this one a five star rating. Like this yeah. movie just blew me away. Um, this is I've um I want to rethink about like my top five films and maybe even go into like a top ten or twenty. Um I'm working on a top one thousand. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> this this is definitely in my top ten and might this be. This is definitely in my, my top, top one thousand. It's yeah. in my top one thousand for sure. <laughs> Well, that all started it's, because Edgar Wright made a movie list, and it's not it's not ranked because fuck trying to rank that, but yeah. he's just like 
a thousand films he would consider to be a favorite movie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm at I'm at three hundred so far. Okay. <laughs> I while I've certainly seen more than a thousand movies, I haven't seen enough movies to choose 1000 favorites i might just do 500 yeah <laughs> it's a little more attainable but um no like I, I i i knew i was gonna enjoy the movie we have similar enough tastes that when you recommend something to me especially when you recommend to me recommend it to me um as ferociously as you recommended this <laughs> film considering i never even heard of it like i i like danny boyle's films i haven't seen a lot of them uh, I like his work enough that when he was supposed to direct the new James Bond, I got really fucking excited for it, which yeah. he's no longer doing. But um, no, I was not expecting this film just to to leave an impression on me. And part of it could be when I was reading um, the little bit I read about the film um, that much like Steven Spielberg did of Close Encounters of Third Kind, this was Danny Boyle trying to... Uh, he was so inspired by 2001 A Space Odyssey, he wanted to make something similar. And okay. maybe it's because I haven't seen as many sci-fi films as I'd like, but this movie <laughs> just really blew me away. I was going to say, uh, you know, it, it wasn't a bunch of guys in lab coats uh, standing <laughs> around and talking. No, and like while they were sciencey shit, they, they, they explained it in a way that I can understand. Yeah. No. So I really... I, I, I was very happy with uh, the choice of this movie, and I'm nice. glad that we watched it. So I, I absolutely loved this movie. Uh, like we, like I said, we talked a couple episodes ago about our thrill house moments, and <clears throat> it, it, it didn't come like right as the credits, cre- uh, credits started rolling, like we, like we joked. Um, but I want to say it was sometime after, like um, Cyril blinding himself in the sun it was like once we started getting to know the cast a little bit and um we found out this was a failed i don't know it it was pretty it was pretty shortly it was pretty it was still pretty close to the beginning pretty there wasn't like that one moment but i can definitely tell tell you that as soon as the the third act came around i was thrill housing like crazy (laughs) um yeah the that opening sequence um with cillian murphy's character uh, giving like they get that warning that this might be your last message home. Yeah, actually, no, that was it. That was probably my my moment. And then like when he took too long and and Captain America got pissed off. Yep, yep. I was like, oh, they're trapped in a can together and they don't really like each other. <laughs> Drama. <laughs> and and I also find it really beautiful how they used his message home back at the end when you finally see or like the whole film takes place in that spaceship oh well, yeah one and, of, and one he of said the two spaceships and like i love i love the way he describes it. he says it so beautifully it's like he's like it takes 13 minutes for the sun to to uh to hit the the light to hit the earth or maybe it was like 13 seconds i don't i think it might have been 13 uh, minutes eight minutes eight minutes eight, and he's like if it's a if it's a if it's an especially beautiful day you'll know that we accomplished our goal i'm like yeah. oh Oh, that's, so well, that's really sweet, Cillian Murphy. <laughs> and then it was gonna take him like three years to get back. Yeah, um, yeah. That spoilers. Ain't not that that happened. <laughs> what? You tell me that there's no way they're gonna get home, Nick? <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! Hey, uh, you you heard our intro song with a voiceover. <laughs> I just I do want to talk real quick about the intro where he was like, he's like, our only hope is a bomb, my bomb. <laughs> I don't know why that like it reminded me of something. It's like uh, um, yeah, um, 
like an like an intro to a 1950s or 60s TV show. Man has an instinct to create, or to build, or to improve. But the human mind can go other ways too. Sometimes it gets lost. Then it needs guidance. Reading signs and obeying them can sometimes help a confused mind. They tell you which way to turn, when not to turn, where not to drive, where not to park. In my business, this sign means something whether you drive or not. Sometimes, if you don't heed it, you'll see this sign. I work here. I carry a badge. Yeah, like it was like it almost felt like it wasn't needed, but I guess to an extent it was to catch <laughs> us up. It's like I, I have a hard time with with beginning movie narration. It was, it was yeah. kind of, same thing with like Dark City. It's like it kind of turns me off at first, but if the rest of the movie is great, I don't really care. I, I um, think that's really aptly said. It, it was like it. It, it reminded me of Quint from Jaws, where he's, where he's, like, I can imagine Quint doing that same speech, where he's like, <laughs> Japanese submarine slammed two torpedoes into our side, Chief. He was coming back from the island of Tinian to Lady, just delivered the bomb, the Hiroshima bomb. 1,100 men went into the water. The vessel went down in 12 minutes. Didn't see the first shark for about half an hour. Tiger, 13-footer, you know? You know that when you're in the water, Chief? You tell by looking from the dorsal to the tail. What we didn't know was our bomb mission had been so secret, no distress signal had been sent. They didn't even list us overdue for a week. Very first light, Chief. Sharks come cruising. So we formed ourselves into tight groups. You know, it's kind of like old squares in a battle, like you see in a calendar, like the Battle of Waterloo, and the idea was, shark comes to the nearest man, that man, he start pounding and hollering and screaming, sometimes the shark go away. Sometimes he wouldn't go away. Sometimes that shark, he looks right into you, right into your eyes. You know the thing about a shark, he's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eyes. When he comes at you, he doesn't seem to be living until he bites you. And those black eyes roll over white and then, oh, then you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming. The ocean turns red, and in spite of all the pounding and the hollering, they all come in and they rip you to pieces. You know, by the end of that first dawn, lost a hundred men. I don't know how many sharks, maybe a thousand. I don't know how many men, the average six an hour. Thursday morning, Chief, I bumped into a friend of mine, Herbie Robinson from Cleveland. Baseball player, Bosun's mate. I thought he was asleep. Reached over to wake him up. Bobbed up and down in the water. It was like a kind of top. Upended. Well, he'd been bitten in half below the waist. 
Noon the fifth day, Mr. Hooper, Lockheed Ventura, so as he swung in low and he saw us to the young pilot, a lot younger than Mr. Hooper anyway, he saw us and he come in low and three hours later a big fat PBY comes down and start to pick us up. You know, that was the time I was most frightened, waiting for my turn. I'll never put on a life jacket again. So 1,100 men went in the war. 316 men come out, the sharks took the rest, June the 29th, 1945. Anyway, we delivered the bomb. I don't remember, like, he says something and repeats it, and that's, I don't remember this. this. You need to tell a shark. <laughs> yeah, anyways, I can imagine Quint saying that's, that speech. I, I just rewatched Jaws recently. Does it hold up for you? I think it's a masterpiece. Uh, uh, yeah, actually, like, when I saw it, the last time I saw it, I was really young. So I thought was you were like, going to oh. say really drunk for some reason. I was really drunk uh, as a nine-year-old. <laughs> um, but, like, you know, it was like, oh, a movie about a scary shark. Like, I wasn't able to appreciate <laughs> all of the, the actual, you know, what Jaws is about. Scary shark. Do-do-do-do-do, <laughs> <laughs> scary shark. Do, 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 do. Fuck off. I have a three-year-old. That's all I hear oh, all day. Oh my like, god! Oh. That played at a hockey game one time, and I want. And I was like, "Why is this a thing?" And my and Amanda's I, pissed off because she's like, "We used to sing this song in Girl Scouts, but they didn't have the do 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 part." And she got really pissed off that they like took her thing. <laughs> I I got to beat. What's that? So this weekend, we were at a impromptu drag show. Fuck yeah! We went okay. To, we we went to brunch. And two drag queens showed up. It's like, oh, there's a drag show here today. Cool. And we were all having a good time. But um, uh, my my girlfriend's daughter was was there, and like she was really compelled by the whole thing. So she's like peeking out around the booth, like staring the whole time. Mm-hmm. And they the drag queens kind of pick up on this, and they come out and they start like talking to her a little bit, and you know. Uh, her and her sisters are giving her $1 bills to, 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 to give to the drag queens. And then at the very end of their show, they took they were taking requests. And people were shouting out, you know, Brittany. And, and, uh, and then one of them comes over. She goes, how about you? Do you want a request? And she didn't say anything. But then she's like, oh, oh, what about that, that shark song? And, and the drag queen starts singing Baby Shark. <laughs> in this restaurant at one o'clock on a Sunday when everybody's half drunk, it was phenomenal. I want to know how that song became a thing. I I, I assume it's YouTube. Yeah. At this point, I assume everything's YouTube. But <laughs> but um, no. Going back to uh, Cillian Murphy. Where, where were we? <laughs> we were talking about Cillian Murphy's uh, uh, transmission back home. Yes. And like how that just is was the <clears throat> moment for me that really got me like invested in the film it it was a surprising amount of character development like i think uh cillian and and uh captain america yeah i I don't know those character names names. it's chris evans he's just captain america in the movie um like you get to know those two really well right off the bat because Mm -hmm. of that sequence yeah, I also love too their weird dynamic later on in the film, where like when Chris Evans goes to apologize to him, and Sylvia Murphy's apologizing instead, and he goes like, he's like, "I'm the one apologizing." Long pause. 
he goes, Sally Murphy's like, are you apologizing? Yes. <laughs> and then he just walks away. <laughs> like, I guess that was an apology. <laughs> um, so, um, like, we, we can talk about a lot of different elements, and I think what makes it such a good film is they kind of nailed all of it. The, the acting is incredible. The script is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, and speaking of the script, I, the uh, the screenwriter behind Alex Garland, I'm I've he's slowly becoming like one of the persons I really want, I really need to watch. I don't know how familiar you are with him. Um, as far as I know, uh, like I just heard the name today. So, uh, well, the, he wrote the book for the beach, which um, uh, Danny Boyle did adapt. Oh, and okay. it was a movie that I actually uh, I saw really young. I don't know. I saw Leonardo DiCaprio, and I was like, oh. I want to see that movie. And it's like I had no idea what that movie was about. And it felt kind of dangerous and weird, <laughs> but it's a movie that's always kind of stuck with me. Uh, he also wrote Twenty Eight Days Later, but he right. the, his his he's started directing lately, and he directed Ex Machina, wrote and directed okay. Ex Machina, and uh, this movie called Annihilation. And he's. Um, I don't know. He's just become a really interesting voice in science fiction that definitely worth checking out. So it's kind of great to see a relatively early film for him because I feel because uh, this was only the third film he had. No, the second film he had written because um, okay. he wrote uh, 28 Days Later and then Sunshine. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 kind of great to see like this this voice that I'm currently watching now and seeing how it's developing early on in his career yeah uh i i was just on his imdb page as we were uh talking and his headshot is amazing he's just like oh my god i gotta look this up and like dead eyes oh my god i gotta see this alex (laughs) garland imdb but um so I guess where should we? Neither of us took notes because we we, I don't know if we're gonna keep that in the episode. But we both mentioned that I've got to get better at taking notes on movies. I have. Oh my god, that that picture is fantastic. Alex Garland. If you're not doing anything right now, go and IMDb Alex Garland. He does not look. He wants to be there. (laughs) I do. I have to have a headshot. (laughs) But um, can I just write? So sometimes the issue with doing a show like this, especially when you haven't seen the sh- seen the movie, for me specifically, it's hard to take my eyes off the screen and have a piece of paper or have my phone nearby and write because I'll get really swept up. It's usually when I'm taking a lot of notes. It's when I know the movie very well or I'm not that into the movie that I can – like I'm, right, I'm watching a movie right now for Vinegar Syndrome called Splatter University. It's okay. It's fun. But like I have a lot more notes on that movie because I'm not as invested. Right. But um, so me and Nick are trying to get better taking more notes for a show like this. But neither of us took any notes for this episode. So it's going to be a little more freeform. Um <laughs> Because we both, Nick knows the movie. It's it's a movie that he really loved and he recommended to me. It's a movie I never even heard of. Because when you when you hear a movie called Sunshine, you're like, eh, I don't know if I want to see that movie, <laughs> even if I know what it's about. Like the title Sunshine is a little little goofy. But um, so we're gonna try to keep this as on brand as possible. Which on brand for us is not staying on topic. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, it should be easy. But where should where do you want to go with this conversation, Nick? Um. Let's talk You know the movie about, better, so that's why I'm asking you. But since since you brought up the um 
the title, let's talk about like the themes of uh, darkness and light and like heat and cold. Okay. If you have any thoughts on that. Uh, um, very rudimentary thoughts. Like obviously like, you know, the, the sun is dying <laughs> and the sun dies, everything dies. But what, what I found really fascinating is so the, the earth is, is essentially for all intents and purposes winter all the time. Uh, that's the way that they portrayed it at the very last scene. Um, <clears throat> and so I get the, I get the feeling that this has been, this has been happening for a while. This is, it's not just they woke up one day and it was fucking frozen. Uh, you, pro- you get the idea that a lot of these people probably do not know what warmth or even the sun is really like. That's yeah. the way I, I feel it because something like this would, would not just happen overnight. It's a gradual change. Um, so I found it very fascinating that so many of them were obsessed with bathing themselves in sunlight because it's something they've never been able to do. So much so yeah. that Cyril has got a constant sunburn. <laughs> It's invigorating. It's like uh, taking a shower and like you lose yourself a little. Like a flotation tank. Actually, no. For scientific tests on deep space, I ran a number of sensory deprivation trials, tested total darkness on flotation tanks. And the point about darkness is you float in it. You and the darkness are distinct from each other because darkness is an absence of something. It's a vacuum. But total light envelops you. It becomes you. It's very strange. I don't, um, I recommend it. What's strange, sir, is that you're the psych officer on this ship, and I'm clearly a lot saner than you are. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's no, constantly absolutely. peeling because he spends way too much time in it. Well, um, and there's, uh, there's this, like, uh, godlike or or this mystic quality to it that like draws these people in and kind of makes them crazy. There's um, Pinbacker was we're uh, jumping the, that, we're jumping to that right away. Yeah. Um, well, and, and was it you said Cyril was that? Yeah, the, I've like got the, the characters' names. Of that's one reason okay. I know it. The psychologist character who's supposed to keep everybody, you know calm and happy and sending people to the earth room to, to chill out. Like he kind of goes crazy. He's like when, when the captain is about to die because he's stuck on the other side of the shield and it's twisting back and everybody knows he's going to get vaporized by the yeah. light of the sun. And Cyril is like, what do you see? What does it look like? What is it like? Everybody else yeah. is saying, get out of there, get out. And, and, and he's, he's like, like I'm no. fascinated. What do you see? Like, do you see God? And I found, that, I, I found that so fascinating, too, because, like, you're, like, you know, typical sense in, in, in um, with the themes from, in, in storytelling is, is darkness, bad, light, good. Yeah. But in this case, the, the more, the closer you get to the light, the more bright it gets, the more insane and evil people become yeah uh especially too like you know so these people have been all trapped on this ship together and they you know you stay you spend enough time with people you're gonna grow to fucking hate them and then <laughs> just the the effect that the sun has on people like i imagine cereal's out there spending a lot of time staring at that sun yeah trying and, to and find something in it the sun killed more people than pinbacker did yeah um it it Killed all of the crew of Icarus One except for Pinbacker. 
Uh-huh. It killed Cyril, though, mm-hmm. like, you know, by driving them crazy and, and yep. making them want to do that. Um, the one, uh, the second in command that ended up getting recruited, he kind of died on, he got sucked out of the, when they tried to jump from Icarus 1 to Icarus 2, he got sucked out. And you oh. could say he died floating in space. But oh, that that show... death scene really got me, like, when his, when his arm came off and it was just those red diamonds. I'm like, oh. Oh, I was bro. sitting there like, oh, like hand over my mouth, just like surpri- like shocked. But then I love, they go to this super wide shot, and you can see just this little glint floating mm-hmm. in the darkness. And as soon as it hits the edge of the heat shield, just... Pff, yep. Like this life just, the sun just... Pff, it seems The so sun giveth and the sun taketh away. <laughs> yeah. Um <sighs> And but then they also do uh, that. You you have the the oxygen garden there yeah. that like plants need sunlight, and it's all artificial sunlight. But that's what's keeping them alive is this this system of artificial heat and sunlight um, that that the sun ends up like blast like destroying. Mm-hmm. That, that the sun blows up their garden like. Um, and there's there's a little bit of um, like this this sense of you know h- humans hubris that we can engineer our way out of uh, global and universal happenings. Yeah, and that's what they're trying to do. They've they've tried to engineer this way to restart the sun so that we can. But then it feels like the sun is like, nope, fuck you, nope, fuck you. Yeah, like right. the, the sun's gonna do what the sun wants to do, right? <laughs> and uh, no, it's it's almost like a self correcting system. Anything that gets too close to it or tries to change the course of its trajectory is gonna get fucked with. Yeah, and you know, like yeah, the sun's the hottest source ever. So it's like the closer you're gonna get to it, the more dangerous it becomes. But then you almost feel like this this thing has gotten a vendetta against you, and that's yeah. why you could believe that Pinbacker believes that this fucking thing is an entity. Yeah. Um. No, it's like it's it's stuff like that that I I, I found myself just really gravitating towards. That you know this this character these these characters honestly I could see how they could create a cult of, around the sun. Yeah, because I'm sure if you're pinned back and you've been alive for seven years on your own, you probably start thinking there's a reason. Right. <laughs> I found the heat shield really effective uh, storytelling device. Like that, that there was this large wall between them and their destination, mm-hmm. keeping them in shadow. Like it's what they needed for safety. You mm-hmm. you go outside that heat shield. Anything goes outside that shield, and it's gone. Um, so so, but it also keeps them in in total darkness. Yep. Um. So, it it, it did it. It felt like you were as a viewer, like you were constantly hidden behind something. Um, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and um, I know I've I've just a little bit of reading I've done that it sounds like Danny Boyle was really inspired by 2001: A Space Odyssey. I can't confirm because I still have not seen that movie. It's been on my shame list for a while. Oh. Um, I was waiting to see if I could see it in, on a, in a theater, but that might be harder to 
accommodate than I was hoping. Okay. I had a chance last year, a good friend of mine uh, who was going to eventually be on the show, named Brian Hollandike, he was telling me about a theatrical screen at like an IMAX of 2001 Space Odyssey in Madison. I just couldn't make my way out to it. But I just kept seeing similarities to Alien. Dallas? I might, I might play around, but I want to get the hell out of here. Oh, God, it's moving right towards you. Uh. Move, get out of there. Move, get out of there. Move, get out of Okay. Yeah. No. It's like, been a while since I've seen Alien, so I like I, if you just remove the alien from from <laughs> that movie, like that's that's sunshine from the first. You know, they're not trying to blow up the sun or whatever, but like this crew of people who are on a. I don't remember what the mission is in Alien. It has been a little bit for me, but it's like this. This it's just wrought with tension and getting to know these characters, and I don't know. That's what I kept thinking. But I was like, oh, this reminds me okay. of Alien. Nice. And I have to say, um, since we talked about Pinbacker a little bit already, I had no idea this movie was going to turn into a horror movie. Right? <laughs> I knew nothing about it. I knew that you wanted me to watch it. I was like, oh, it's on HBO. So I, I went and watched it. And like, oh, I was like, oh, it's going to be, you know, your own folly is your downfall. <laughs> Until fucking Freddy Krueger shows up and murders everyone. Every town has an Elm Street. Ah! <laughs> That was like that was such an unexpected twist for me, and then like when it essentially became a slasher film of this man who's obsessed with the sun to the point where his body is burnt from head to toe. Yeah, and there's that great reveal, like when I think Cillian Murphy's like doing some computer shit or whatever, and it's like there are seven life forms, and you know he's like, <laughs> no, there aren't, no, there aren't. There's like, hey, doodle. <laughs> he's like, there's six, and he's like, and she's like, there's seven. He's like, who's the seventh life form? And then you're like. <laughs> You're like, wait, there's not the life form? And I kept thinking, they're going to throw an alien or some shit into this, aren't they? Yeah. Nope. <laughs> this man, uh, played by Mark Strong, has been surviving on Icarus 1 because they, they, they tie it in, too. They tie it in so perfectly. <laughs> they're like, well, no one could survive seven years. They, they had enough food. Uh, they, had, they didn't have enough food. And they said they had enough food for eight people. If there's not eight people, someone could have survived. Right. And there's and one man... All- there's there's one they have enough food to get through that mission but there's one man they have enough supplies that one man could survive right uh i also liked the tension it's very subtle that was what i was gonna say it's very subtle they don't draw attention to it but it's 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 almost a throwaway line that if you think about like if you're like wait how did he survive they've explained it all it's all there (laughs) go back (laughs) yeah um, I liked the conversation that they had when they were debating whether or not to go to Icarus one. Oh, that was a great scene. <clears throat> and there's the, oh, there might be people on board, and that that theme that they had set up early on that they kept, like, our lives don't matter. What matter? Like, how can you compare a couple of lives to the lives of everyone on Earth? It's like, and that went out. But then um, the the psychologist was, yes, but there's another bomb on that ship. Yeah. Which would could double our chances. And then he was also saying, like, um, 
I'm not saying let's do it. I'm saying let's weigh the pros and cons of, you know, obviously there are cons to doing this. Obviously there is a big pro to doing this. Um, no, and I, and I love that too. It wasn't just like this gung ho feeling. It's like we must go protect, save them, and do what we have yeah. to do. They're like, there, there's a good way. There's, there's, there's no right answer here, and yeah. let's just figure it out. And then eventually, it came down to Cillian Murphy's character. I don't remember why they chose him. Because um, uh, he was the physicist, oh. so he was the one that had to do all the projections to see the likelihood of whether or not mathematically it made sense to go get this second and then like um, once they once they lay it all out it's like this is the way to go about it this is a smart decision to go it's not even necessary to find the crew it's like we need to see if they've got any plant life they need to see if they have any food they we got to get that other bomb so on and so forth it all makes sense but that one decision is what changes everything because it's from there that um um like the navigator, he fucks up the cord. He fucks up like the math oh, and everything. It's like I just fucked up. <laughs> that was heartbreaking for me. Yeah. And it's like because like it's a simple mistake, but it's a simple mistake that could have killed them all. And it's yeah. like he it, it weighed heavy on him. And it's like oh, this is not going to go well for them. All right, I I I I have so much to talk about off of that tangent, but I want to take it one step back um, to Cillian Murphy making the decision to go he didn't want to make that decision no would you and not just because of the pressure but because there wasn't a right answer no that he's like there's no way there's no way to decide this there's no there and so and because he was the one that was forced to make it and it was a decision he couldn't make but but he made a decision now everything that happens from that point on in the movie the crew, but specifically Chris Evans, can point to him and go, "This is your fault." So, question for you: No, and pretend we don't. We hadn't seen the rest of the movie, and or say everything would have went as smoothly as they said. Which decision would you have made? Um, I think to Chris one. I I was kind of leaning more towards Chris Evans to just finish the mission. I I think the it. Two final shots is better than one final shot, and that's completely fair. And yeah. so that's what's what's tough. Like we, we even us, we have two very different yeah. answers of how that should have went. And uh, and then like when Chris Evans got really pissed at Cillian Murphy's character, and he's it's like this is all because of you. Yeah, but no one else is making a decision. Yeah, yeah. Well, Chris Evans wanted to con- wanted to do it, but no one else had a decision. So. <laughs> you had to select one impartial voice, essentially. Now, where you were starting to go, yeah. Um, I also found it really interesting that conversation that they were having about um, uh, the guy that screwed up the calculations, mm-hmm. right? And and they're like, now we have enough oxygen for what was it like? three people but there were four people left or four and five it was yeah one of yeah the two after the after they separated from interest one there were only four people left, four or five people left yeah um uh, and they're like oh before we needed to three people less but we just lost two in this process so now there's only one left and so they had that conversation about like what about the guy that who's like who fucked all this up and is on suicide watch and you know like that conversation was really good like okay we 
we need everybody's okay this needs to be unanimous and one person wouldn't give them the vote and tris evans is like okay i'm gonna go do it anyway yeah right like he's like i don't give a shit <laughs> and like and like I, it's it's like it's it's very easy to be like oh i would never do that but it's like if you need a certain amount of oxygen just to, it's not even like oh we need to save ourselves it's like we need enough oxygen to to finish this mission to right right and because they at that point they know they're not coming back i think and uh, they they suspect that um yeah because they don't yeah they don't have the oxygen i mean i guess they could maybe go back to no they said already said they couldn't go back to address one because of the docking problem mm-hmm. um but uh, i also found it interesting that they had that conversation yeah and then they went and he had already killed himself um so it it turned rather than a tough decision that they had to make it turned into just an exercise of like what kind of people are these three people left no it was four because it was chris evans silly murphy um roseburn the, the botanist yep um and then the girl that wouldn't give yeah that permission. was roseburn yeah so so there were five and they had to get it down to four yeah and and then like um even though Chris Evans, you know, was so gung ho about doing it, as soon as he got there and saw that, um, excuse me, the navigator had done it anyways, like even he had, he was taken aback. Yeah, because yeah. like I, I think he didn't necessarily even want to do it. He just knew it no, had to be done. He, he's so mission oriented, and and he knows that nothing can get in the way of that, and it and that's true. But the hard decisions that need to be made in order for that mission to at least have a chance of being successful that nobody wants to make he he said no this ha- this has to be what happens this has we yeah have because he's the one who's constantly pushing everyone yeah. to finish things so like once Kaneda pa- dies it's like he takes his moment to mourn but then he's like okay we need to we need to regroup and uh, i don't know if this was explained in the movie but i'm on the wikipedia page so we can only take that as so truthfully as possible but it says his character was is is from a military family and background and it's like well that makes sense yeah like he he's the one constantly pushing them and he he never takes something as like well now this is impossible you know a many man who's willing to wrap himself up in shit and be like we're gonna jump through we're gonna jump through space (laughs) is a man who's fucking mission oriented like hell (laughs) <laughs> which is still one of the funniest moments it's like you know it's like negative 136 degrees well if we wrap ourselves up we can make that jump this this is this tinfoil will do the trick yeah that was like still it's like oh, i texted you as a like, captain america seriously just said let's jump into space <laughs> <laughs> oh so good <laughs> um so what else do we have here again um, like i i wish I was able to take notes because there's so much to talk about, but I got so caught up in it all. Um, oh, there's the Stardust stuff. So we're all just Stardust. Yep. Was a, a reoccurring line that we're Stardust, which has so many little offshoots. Um, there's the obvious obvious one that, you know, the, the, the sun is a star and... Mm-hmm. and that that we're it, it has this feeling of insignificance but also uh how everything's tied together yeah um but 
one of the little things that I really enjoyed with regard to that was um, when they got on Tatarus 1, mm-hmm. and there was dust all over everything. <laughs> yes. Which was really like the... the And they're like, yeah, well, that's skin. 80% of skin. Uh, of, of dust is skin. But then you find them all fried in the observation mm-hmm. room. It's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's not <laughs> <Gross>. just like... <laughs> <laughs> that is crispy human meat. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, um... I guess one 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 theme that we've kind of touched on, but we'll see we'll see if we have anything else to add to it would be the idea of of um, religion in this film. Yeah. Um, because once again, take it as a grain of salt from Wikipedia. Apparently, uh, Cillian Murphy making this film made him change his religious views from being agnostic to atheist. Okay. <laughs> Which I find okay. really fascinating. So, like, once believing that there is something out there to like. No, there's nothing. <laughs> and it's fascinating to me because, like, so Mark Strong, so Pinbacker, and uh, Cyril, well, Mark Strong definitely believes that the sun is a god. Right. It, is, it, it is making the decisions. It's the bender of this world. And, <laughs> uh, and, and he wants to be the last person alive to talk to God. Yeah, because he was saying that he's had conversations with God, and he knows what yeah. needs to be done, and... Um, you know, his brain's fried, his skin's literally fried. Uh, he believes that everything he's doing is is in the right, and that's what makes a villain. A villain believes anything they're saying, no matter how crazy it is, is one hundred percent in the right. Yeah. Um, and then you have you have Cyril, who's not quite there, but is getting to that point where he's become so enamored with this thing. And like I said, you get an idea that he spend he spends hours in the observation deck and just trying yeah. to see how much more he could raise that percentage up of the sun <laughs> so he can get as pure as possible. That he wants that pure uncut primrosed. sun. Yep. And um but then, like, I can see the other side of it, too. It's like, so they believe the, the sons of God, that it's making decisions, and that you can see why they believe that, because any time something is, uh, happens, the sun seems to get in their way. And it very, it very much seems like it's this, this, this divine entity putting a hand on everything and changing it. But then the other way to view it is, like... There, that the sun is ju- that they that being man and being human and making mistakes, which is what honestly keeps happening. They keep making a mistake, and since the sun's got such overwhelming power and force, that that's what really fucks things up. That there is nothing out there. That they are just the sun's hot, and they keep making mistakes and expose themselves to it. Theory. I'd have to watch it again to see if it holds up. But so so there are several people that die from the sun, from burning, from heat, right? Yeah, and it tends to be the believers, yeah, right? the, the the ones that that believe. But then, um, yeah, because Kaneda dies, and while he, uh, he we've never heard his opinions, he does spend some time in the sun base. So you get an idea that maybe he's in between. Yeah, Cyril. Yeah, okay. Um, there is the second in command who. Uh, you could say dies from the coldness of space, right? So the yeah. opposite of that, the fr- he, he's frozen, but then burns up. Yep. Um, and then Chris Evans, who is the least likely to be a believer, who definitely does not believe that the sun is a, a god, dies from freezing in the cooling tanks. 
Yeah, so everything there's... about him is, is about cold. Like, yeah. even when he grabs that tool out of the tank and his hand's frozen and, yeah. That it, it seems like the way that these characters die, be it by heat or by cold, is uh, potentially uh, significant. Yeah. I have to rewatch the film, too, and right? put a little more thought into that. Um, if anyone out there is listening, and you've seen the movie a couple times, weigh in. Come to the Facebook page. We'll have a discussion. Does the defense's case hold water? <laughs> no. The defense is wrong. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else we could touch on. Like I said, well, I really wish I would have taken some more notes. Yeah. But like uh, I said, the, the film, and, and I don't mean this in a, in a bad way, um... It's a simple film. It is like what, um, be, because it's simple. It the the film is really a character piece. Yeah, right. Like, and it's it's not super heavily plot driven. There is a plot driving the story, but yeah, but it's, it's more a so single the, plot. Yeah, that they're that with with a a single focus the whole time, and and that is deserved. Like, there is it, it's important enough that. Everything that happens in the movie is about getting to that point. Yeah. So then really what what makes up the meat of the film is exploring um, how people, how this small group of people deals with that situation. Uh, That's kind of what I like about um, uh, Night of the Living Dead, right? Like yeah. When, when people compa- complain about zombie movies oh they're not showing enough zombies it's not about the zombies anymore it's like well no what makes a good zombie movie is that the zombie is this like reflection of of the human beings and what do the human beings do to each when the human beings are the biggest threat yeah then you've got a good zombie movie i completely (laughs) agree this kind of has that same like it, it it's it's the even though the sun is this omnipresent danger it it's the people that end up being the instruments and and doing all of the damage yeah uh one thing i do want to talk about i want to talk a little bit about just the the style of this film and even just um um like i guess the art of filmmaking for lack of a better term um so a couple of little things that i definitely like there's a lot of style to this film but there usually isn't a danny boyle film he's got a way with a camera some people can (laughs) complain that uh sometimes he's got too much style like he cuts around like he he does a lot he cuts around a lot and so on and so forth like uh i feel like this film had a nice um like during scenes of action the film would the the camera and the editing would get chaotic but I feel like he is pretty even toned throughout it. Uh, but one thing I absolutely loved is when they went onto the Icarus one and they were doing flash. Anytime the light would, would shine oh, over the, yeah. the camera, it would flash to a face of someone of a crew member. And it was so subtle that I was like, did I see that? No, right. I didn't. And then, like, because, like, the first time it happened, like, I blinked when it happened, and I thought I saw, like, a, a little bit of a face. It's like, no, I'm sure it was nothing. But then, like, it's like every time the, 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 the light would shine past the camera, they would do that. Right. And it's it's really fast. I, I, there's a lot you can infer to the reason why they did it. I don't know the exact reason, but, like, I just thought it was this really interesting effect of 
kind of remembrance of the lost, the people that didn't survive that. And I want to go back through that at some point and you get such a small glimpse of it. I'm sure you couldn't even tell. I want to see if pinbacker's on there. If his okay. face comes up. Yeah. Well, they do a- after that little sequence, they do show like the big uh, mission picture yeah. that they're pulling all of those faces from. Um, but it, going back to these these light and dark themes, you know the the power has been cut on the station, so there's no light um, except in the observation room. Or was the observation room shut? Maybe they ended up shutting it. Anyway, I don't remember. It, it's dark, right? They have their flashlights, um, but showing the the pictures of who they were when they started the mission in the flashes of light that haven't touched the station in years uh, uh, feels right. You know, it, it feels like this, uh, they they are now in the darkness of, of failing behind, you know, they're still hidden behind their heat shield. Yeah. And they've failed and they're in this darkness. And then as this light flashes around, it's, it's yeah, this ghost of who they were in the light. Yeah. Um, as as you're standing over the dust of their body, <laughs> I know. <laughs> like maybe that's maybe it's just literally like when I scan over here, it's this guy. When I scan right. over here, it's this guy. Uh, and then like um, I I've got a pretty nice setup at home. I've got a I've got a nice TV. I've got a surround sound system. The uh, since I watched on HBO, HBO does a full five point one surround and. This movie, well, and the score is great. It's got a very nice ambient score that's yes. not, it's very understated at times. But then, like, the way it uses movement through the speakers, if you if you are lucky enough to have a, a surround sound system, listen to this film and just the way sound moves, it's, it's fantastic. It really engrosses you into the film. And, you know, because um, 5.1 surround sound has become so standard every film uses it even films that don't necessarily need it but it's the, the, the there's some true sound artists out there who mix the film so that way they really utilize those those five speakers effectively and yeah. that this film did just like I said the, the movement of sound especially like in there in the vacuum of space it's not quite the absence of sound but just the sounds that they choose to use and then like when things start going crazy like one point there was a a siren going and it was like moving from speaker to speaker it was going oh wow and i was like oh this is super cool (laughs) yeah i forgot how good the soundtrack was um it was i don't know i don't know the band or the guy at all but it's a guy named john murphy who was uh with a band called underground or maybe okay. the, maybe they did it together. It was John Murphy and a band called Underground. Okay. I don't I don't personally know them, so no, I can't it, it really say. Really great. Yeah. So. Yeah. Is anything else to add, Nick? Um, I'm sure there are billions of things <laughs> to add. I just, I'm, like the, again, like because it was so engrossing, and I didn't take the notes. Like I. I feel like I'm not doing the film a, a, a yeah. service right now. And like I, I guess if, uh, I would say, in, in, in defense of our lack of note-taking, um, that, if anything, should be the deciding factor of whether or not you should go watch this film. Yes. If we, yep. we have a podcast that we're supposed to do bi-weekly <laughs> where it's our job to talk as in-depth as we feel like about a <laughs> film. 
And if we were so engrossed to the film that we are struggling to do our job because that's how into <laughs> it we were, maybe you should go see it. Yeah. That's uh, that's the lazy the, way to to, to uh, defend ourselves. <laughs> here, here. Yeah, <laughs> it's the movie's fault. The movies made me do it. <laughs> um. So yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's sunshine in a nutshell. Um, can't recommend it highly enough. So, question for you is 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 this a sequel or a prequel to Little Miss Sunshine? Uh, I think Little Miss Sunshine is the prequel. Um, so, right, Sunshine comes out, and then they decide to do the prequel of Little Miss Sunshine, who yeah. then grows up to be Pinbacker. Yeah, I, I I assume that's how it went. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> was there anything else you wanted to talk about non-Sunshine related? Anything you've um, seen? Any? We haven't done recommendations in a while. Ooh. Um, uh, I, I didn't really come up with any, but like I guess Alien. Uh, this would yeah. make a great double feature of Alien. It might yeah. be a little on the nose in terms of a double feature, but if you haven't seen Alien, that film is equally as amazing. Uh, I watched uh, season one of Umbrella Academy. How was that? Me and Amanda have been meaning to check it out. Spectacular. I've heard great uh, things. I really enjoyed it. My favorite... Uh, element of it is i can't think of his name um one of the it's it's seven siblings uh you know uh, adopted siblings yeah um and one of them the one that plays number four yeah um was in a british show that i really loved called misfits or okay. the Misfits? One of the two. I'll find out in a second here. Klaus. Robert Sheehan. Klaus. Yeah. Um, was in... Hold up. He is really funny. He's okay. ridiculously funny. He's an Irish actor. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, just misfits. Okay. Um, I would say he's he's kind of like the the Irish Shia LaBeouf without the uh, crazy that Shia LaBeouf picked up in his older in his adult life. <laughs> okay. Okay. He, he he is who you wanted Shia LaBeouf to grow up to be. I don't know. I think the Shia LaBeouf we have is kind of amazing. <laughs> but okay, fair enough. So this is even Steven Shia LaBeouf. It, uh, I would say like Misfits was like would have been stage two of what like Robert Sheehan would have done after his version of Even Stevens. Okay. And then um, Umbrella Academy is like totally different trajectory, but it's fantastic. Okay. Uh, I haven't checked that out yet. Well, so, something me and Amanda want to watch together. And currently, okay. we are working through uh, Boardwalk Empire. From okay, HBO. I have not watched it was a show yet. I watched on its original run, and I remember really liking it. And Amanda hadn't seen it, and it's all it's all on Amazon Prime right now. So like we are like into season three already. Yeah, nice. into season three of five, and we just started like not even a month ago. <laughs> um, so we're watching through that, and then I've got such funny enough with a movie like I can 
I don't have this problem with movies necessarily, but with television shows, I have terrible ADD where like I, I'm not much of a binge watcher because like if I watch no. the same characters over and over, I, I begin to lose interest, if that makes sense. Um, so I have to have a couple shows that I'm rotating between. <laughs> so like I'm still working through season two of Daredevil. Okay, I um, haven't seen any of that. Uh, I'm walk. I'm watching through Sex Education on Netflix, which is great. Oh, I've heard that's really good. I just make it bums me out a little bit. I like in Sex Education, but there was a show that Netflix had last year that was is canceled, so they're not. It's not getting a second season called Everything Sucks. Okay, and it's there's elements of Sex Education in that. I um that I saw also and everything sucks and just makes me sad that show's not getting the second right. season. Okay. But um uh Sex Education is, is got some amazing use of music. And it's not oh, just cool. their needle drops of like popular songs but just like its score or they will use needle drops of like ambient tracks but use them very effectively. Yeah. Um so I I uh, I'm watching through those two right now, you know. And then of course Boardwalk Empire with Amanda. <laughs> Uh, speaking of uh, pops on needle drops, um, I'll go back to Umbrella Academy. Uh, they have a pretty great soundtrack, but it mm-hmm. has a very specific feel to the their song choices. Yeah, and uh, ranges from uh, older bubblegum stuff up through modern pop. A lot cool. of it is covered. Um, but after I think the first three episodes, I know. I bet you any amount of money that they will use uh, So Happy Together at some point. <laughs> Two episodes later, fight scene, So Happy Together Whoa, comes on. There you go. Threw my hands up in the air. Uh, I victory. win. I win. <laughs> I but, win an unspecified amount of money. But no, actually, um, uh, Sex Education does the same thing. where they, it's, it's, It has a very specific vibe with its music. Um we're almost to the point where if I wouldn't have seen a cell phone, I would have assumed the show was set in the nineties. Okay. So, um, definitely recommended. So there, there's to. a nice little list of, uh, recommendations. Yep. And, uh... Oh, and then I should probably promote an upcoming bonus episode that yes. I, I have recorded. I haven't edited. Um, but well, actually by the time that this, co- this actual episode comes out, this might've already been out, but Whatever, I'm going to still talk about it anyways. And if uh, if you if you skipped that bonus episode, because how it's going to work is, cool. I think, you know, we're recording this episode ahead of time. I just don't have time to edit it, so Nick's going to do a solo episode. If you're still down for that, yeah. Or I could edit this one too. If you can get it, if you want to try to do, if you want to try to yeah. get that, well, you, are we dropping on Fridays now? Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll edit this one. Okay, well then, never mind. Well then, this episode's going to come out this Friday, and then we're going to have a bonus episode somewhere if, before, or in between that, probably uh, after that, where I'm um, I, I'm doing our sponsors good by talking about some of their movies. Um, so I've got one from, I got some discs from Mill Creek, so I'm going to be reviewing a Laurel and Hardy collection. Nice. And then I've got a a a a, um, a double feature. From both from 1969, one movie is called Age of Consent by filmmaker Michael Powell. It's his last film as a filmmaker. And then a really funny movie with starring Walter Matthau and Ingrid Bergman called Cactus Flower <laughs> uh, from 1969, uh, directed by Gene Sachs. And then I've got, I'm reviewing Can't Hardly Wait. Nice. It's my first time seeing it. And Mill Creek sent me their tw- like 20th anniversary collection. That is a fragrance of love scented candle, bitch. 
<laughs> have you watched it yet? Yes, and I okay, forgot right. about that line. There's so much goodness in that movie. I, I love... I, I wish I could have we could have uh, talked about it together. <laughs> yeah, but that movie is fantastic. Like I I don't know like it's a movie, it's a movie cover I've always seen. I've always seen that cover. Right. But I feel right. like in the echelon of '90s comedies, it's not brought up nearly as much as the other yeah. ones. Well, I I love um, uh, God. What's uh, Ethan Embry? E- oh, Ethan Embry's great in everything. He's he's great right now. He's doing a show called uh, Grace and Frankie that he's fantastic. Oh in. yeah, that's right. I haven't I haven't watched it, but I heard about it. It's Manda's favorite show. Nice. Ethan uh, Embry's great. Seth Green's great. Uh, Donald Fai- Faison has got a small but really <laughs> right. memorable part. I'm gonna wear the cowboy hat. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, we're Love Burger. <laughs> um, and then um, nobody drank the beer. The beer has gone bad. There, there is a really trouble. Like it's not uh, troublesome might be the wrong word, but it also might be the correct word. Um, <laughs> moment in the special features where they're talking about like making the movie and how nice everyone was, and it's also funny. Like so, they twenty years later, it doesn't seem like they could get all the big name actors that were in the film so they got like a bunch of the small side actors and seth green <laughs> and at one point they're like what was it like working with jennifer love hewitt and they're like oh she was nice and and then they're like we were convinced she had a boob job they're, and they just spent like five minutes talking about her boobs i'm like Ooh, why are we doing Ugh. this yeah weird yeah but no like i i just i i thought this that movie was great so you're gonna hear me talk about it again uh later this week and then Sweet. i I did get some more stuff from Vinegar Syndrome, so currently I'm watching through Splatter University, and um, I'll have more stuff to talk about from them later on. So, where can the kids find you, Nick? Awesome. Um, on Instagram, it's mostly just pictures of my kids. At, uh, I'm, you're going to remember this by the end of the by soon. You're going to remember. I, this I re-listened man. to an episode where I said it wrong. I inverted it. <laughs> it's. Um, I, uh, I know a, what it is. Do you know? A pick worth 1,000 words. Yep. Zero, zero, zero. Yep, uh, yep. At one time I said a word worth 1,000 picks <laughs> and flipped it. So yeah, yep. you'll find me at one of them. Yep, and then you can uh, find... And, and on then, Facebook. Yep, and you can find uh, me at Michael underscore Vires. I've made it easy for everyone. <laughs> um, and... <laughs> <laughs> the podcast well the podcast where i just post movie posters and uh, movies that are in my collection and whatnot uh it's just at shameless picture show and nick if you ever have anything movie related you want on the on the instagram page send it to me i'm no yeah, yeah i can also give probably give you the login i don't know how that works right Ah, we'll figure it out off air um and then um as always you can listen to us everywhere podcasts are listened to we are on spotify we are on uh google play music we are on itunes we're on stitcher radio we're on libsyn we're pretty much everywhere find us wherever you enjoy pretty much and as Uh, always please rate review and subscribe that helps us out more than anything Uh, as always we are the shameless picture show and if you're not down with that i've got two words for you Watch movies. Woo!